What's up, everyone, and thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Outside Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Akinwumi, and join me as I chat with some entrepreneurial women who discuss their experiences of feeling like outsiders and further share insights into how they built their incredible businesses. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Outside Girl Pod and check out the website at theoutsidegirl.com. So on today's episode, I'll be joined by Jenny J, the founder of the Double J Collective, a photography and videography studio based out of Toronto. The purpose of her studio is to leverage her multimedia expertise to help brands create engaging, heartfelt, and sales-driven content. We get into the nitty-gritty of how she dropped out of university and leveraged her contacts and experiences to take her side hustle into a full-fledged business. And we get real as she shares some of the challenges that have come with being a full-time entrepreneur, including dealing with the unforeseen ones like the COVID-19 pandemic. So let's get into it. So when have you ever felt like an outsider and how did you navigate those feelings? Ooh, okay. We're getting right into it. Um, I have felt like an outsider in so many different ways at so many different points in my life. Um, so yeah, I'm just thinking like, I feel like, you know, when you're in a movie and the flashback starts playing of your entire life and you see all of the moments, like this is what's playing in my head right now. All of the moments. I think I felt like an outsider a lot of the time and consistently now in the world of entrepreneurship when I have so many friends who are, you know, in the corporate world and doing all of that. And I think those are the simpler and nicer ways to feel like an outsider um, versus the other ways. Uh, I grew up in Mississauga and I am a visibly South Asian woman. So you would think in Mississauga, like in the greater Toronto area, I would really fit in. Um, But specifically my background, um, my motherland is Sri Lanka. And so where I grew up, There wasn't a lot of Sri Lankan South Asians or Tamil South Asians. There was a lot of, you know, communities from different parts of India, from Pakistan, from Bangladesh. But it felt like I was South Asian, but didn't quite necessarily understand the culture that was constantly surrounding me. So that is a big part of how I grew up, um, feeling a little bit displaced, but not necessarily having the words to navigate why or how. And after going through like elementary school, middle school, high school, the next four or five years of my life were as usually one of the only or one of few visible South Asian people, period, in like super non-diverse, small, for lack of any other word, white towns across either Canada or the UK. Um, So racially, I felt like an outsider in like multiple nuances of the word but yeah I I think it's always been there in different in different ways in different forms yeah I could understand that uh not feeling like you know you just not feeling you maybe fit into the the groups that you've you know you most align with and and having to navigate those things and so from there you know where does your story kind of begin with building your business right like did you did you feel those things and think, okay, I want to share more stories about people who feel like me or like, where did, where did you start with your business? 
So originally, um, if we, if we go all the way back to like me being 13 or 16, I knew in every sense of it that I loved photography and I loved creating, like whether it was writing, whether it was making little edits for our videos for my family as gifts, like those are things that I have always at every step of the way really loved and enjoyed. So that's always been there. But tying that to a business where that would be my career wasn't. So in university or right before university, I actually changed all of my courses um, in grade 12 to go towards film and creative writing because the summer before that I was 17 and I was really blessed with the opportunity to travel across North America with a production company and I got to see what live event production would look like. And that had everything and nothing to do with being an outsider because at the time like I was always the youngest person in a room and often like one of the only women in a room like I was on a production tour with these grown men and I'm this 17 year old like tiny little five foot two probably even shorter at the time I feel like um girl who was learning the ropes of what it meant to um work with red cameras and you know 4K, 6K, 8K at the time, which like they were already starting to future pace themselves um, and learning all of this like really heavy tech side of creating. And so I love that. And I went to university for that. And that is a little bit of where things began. But it took me a while for for the element of telling stories to really come into my business. My business truly actually began as a business. Um, right after actually I was living in the Yukon and I was 19 and I had a migraine induced stroke and that whole experience just shifted a lot of my own values and then like just sparked me saying I was only going to do what I loved I was only going to do the things that made my heart really happy and so that was kind of the kickstart into okay so I'm going to do this and it's going to be a business and we'll see how this goes. So you, you have a, a stroke at a really young age, which is major, uh, and mm-hmm. you're now having to navigate not only school and life, but also this major health concern. What was going through your mind when you, when you went through that? You know, it's really funny that you, you're not wrong. It was a major health concern. Um, I, I just, I don't know if you can put yourself back into being like 18 or 19 where you think you're really old and like you're an adult now, but you're really not. You're really naive. Um, But that's definitely where my head was at. I was so optimistic about my health and about what I was capable of. The moment I physically could walk again and I had those abilities back, um, it was kind of like, okay, that health concern's gone now. She's done. That's fine. It's not going to happen again. And the only way we're going to make sure it's not going to happen again is I have to be happy and not stressed out. And so that's the way I looked at it. Like afterwards, I was just so grateful and so happy and almost in like a very naive, optimistic kind of youthful happiness. Um, and that's what drives a lot of it. So I'm guessing that was the moment when you felt fully realized like you wanted to commit to seeing like your business through. Yeah. So it it wasn't even and it's funny, it wasn't even about committing to seeing my business through. It was about committing to seeing my creativity through. Um, I tell other people this all the time now, but I actually didn't start treating my business like a business until about 
three years into my business because yes, I had clients. Yes, I was making money, but I was still treating it like a student who had a side hustle, a lot of creativity and a lot of passion for what she was doing. And I think a big part of that was that I didn't have the people around me who was going to support me and tell me, you know, uh, a business in photography is still a business. Here's all the things you need to know as a business owner to actually successfully have not just revenue, but also profit, you know, and those are the like the numbers and the words and the questions. I had no idea when I was first starting out. And going back to the point of, you know, you're, you come from a South Asian family. What is your family thinking about this? You know, they have a daughter who just went through a stroke, who's still in school, still figuring life out, and she wants to pursue a creative uh, future. That's kind of different as minorities, uh, <laughs> you know, like to to say, you know what, I don't want to be a doctor or a lawyer. I want to, you know, pursue my creative side and become a photographer or a videographer. What were they kind of feeling at this point in your life? Um, so for starters, if I was actually going to be anything, I really wanted to be a lawyer. I actually got, I'm going to brag, slight humble brag. Um, I had the highest uh, grade in my entire high school in my law class. And I was like, great, go to be a lawyer. Uh, and my mom was actually really against it because she was like, Lawyer, lawyers are manipulative and liars. And is that the kind of person you want to be, Jenny, as, a, as an adult? Um, so ironically, my mom was super against the, the profession of law. Um, but that being said, absolutely, like they're I think the expectations in terms of a career and all of that was more on my dad rather than my mom. Um, and for my dad, I think at the root, he was really just like, I just want you to make money and be happy and make this all worth it. And my mom was pretty amazing in the sense that she was just like, do whatever makes you happy. Did it scare me to have that conversation and tell them, hey, I know just spent like, I think by the time I was ready to go full time with my business, um, I was at the end of my third year of university. And I told them, okay, I'm going to go part-time next year. Don't think I'm probably going to graduate for a minute. I'm going to test out this like business full-time now, see where it goes. And my dad was really just like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, so shortly after that, it was within a year that I actually got a job working for a corporate company out in Alberta as their photography supervisor. And when I got that job and it was solely off of my portfolio, like I had no formal education in my craft and it was very happenstance. Like they ended up on my website. They ended up seeing my portfolio. Um, when I got that job and I, I told my dad, I like just full on cried because I didn't actually know that there was a possibility that this could really truly be my career. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, so, you know, you're now, you're now in the kind of industry that you want to be in. What was that moment where you said you don't even want to work for a corporate business? You want to pursue your own thing fully? Uh, so I actually worked for that corporation for about nine months and uh, they have a pretty slow winter season. So my goal and intention with that was to like come back out to Ontario for like December to April, see how things go. And... Um, I actually started working, again, in the multimedia sphere, but um, with another startup as well at the time. And things started going pretty well with that other startup. Um, I'm no longer with that startup. My co-founder and I have gone our separate ways. But I think even in that process, and that was a huge part of the process where I even started thinking about my own business 
as a business because for the first time like we were in accelerated programs we were in business incubator programs we were learning all of the elements of what it meant to be a startup and and creating as like a multimedia um company from that lens right and that is a lens that i hadn't had for so long from the get-go so i think that's where the shift came and even so it was really hard i mean we're talking about being an outsider i felt like a fraud in some of those business um accelerator spaces and talking to some of these because these are like ivy graduates or you know business school graduates and these are people who understand things like uh, top line revenue, like what is your bottom line? And these are words. Synergy. Yeah. Like, and these are words I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I just know that I have this business or we have this business and here's our idea. And I don't, I just didn't get it. And so, and I I think that just goes to show like how much we treat, teach creatives um, or how much we actually don't teach creatives how to be like successful business owners because creatives have their creative energy and their art, but they also need to know the business stuff and have the accessibility into learning that if they want to succeed in the way the world looks like right now, right? So so you, you gained a lot of your business knowledge from actually doing it, not just like, I guess, being in school or anything like that. Yeah, I never, I never learned anything in school. I, in <laughs> school, God, my university, it gave me like I met some cool people who changed my life. Uh, that's where that list stops. I feel that on. A um, level. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I also I have to include there. I worked for my like university newspaper, um, which at the time was like Canada's largest student newspaper. We had an editorial t- team of like thirty plus people, like that, and the people I met there, the experiences I had at that newspaper plus the people who changed my life like that's that's it that's what I paid for I understand (laughs) so you know now you're you know you have your business you're you're running it what kind of tools were you actually using to build out this business of yours uh to get more recognition to get more awareness so that you can get more clients because your your business is very client-based yeah so I actually really believe in the power of word of mouth To date, I haven't done Facebook ads or like specific marketing campaigns to get clients. They've all just been through referrals and referrals and people hearing about me and my work, um, which I'm really, really grateful for. Uh, It is all client-based at the moment, which is, I mean, if you're listening to this, you know, like in the wake of COVID-19, it's really hard to do client-facing work when it involves you being physically there. So um, for now, that's where things are. And a lot of what I focused on was just consistently getting better. I think that businesses or creative businesses start to stall a little bit when you're not constantly working on being better at your craft. So that's really where I try to focus as much of my time in. So in the wake of the COVID-19 virus and the way it's changed society, how has that directly impacted your business? Um, dear God, COVID-19. So my business is as a full-time photographer and videographer. And yeah, I create really cool brand visuals and marketing, but a lot of that marketing collateral for brands and businesses come from events. Guess what's not happening in the middle of coronavirus? 
events. Guess uh, what's not on the table? Weddings. Uh, Guess who can't leave their house to go to a studio? People. So uh, in the wake of coronavirus 2019-2020, all of our contracts have been postponed or canceled until a later date, which is all of our, our work. So it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a time. Do you get support from other avenues now? Is there you know any way to levy this you know impact that's unforeseen for your business? At the moment, no. The only kind of resources we have or anything that's available from public like public funds or or you know, different grants and things that are now starting to open up to help people at this time. We're taking things day by day. And I know there's a lot of space to shift a business online and and do that kind of like online courses or whatever that is. But the person that I am and the business that I run, I'm really intentional about things like that. So it's hard to jump in and start selling something online when that doesn't feel like an authentic fit right now for me and my business. So we're navigating day by day, hour by hour. But for now, like we're a very client-based, in-person-based business. So it's a bit hard. Do you think you would want to pivot into a different way right now? Or just right now, you just kind of want to um, let the dust settle a little bit? I think we're going to let the dust settle. I think I'm already kind of pivoting um, in and of itself. So outside of the work of creating, a huge part of the work that I do is in advocacy and in education in the ways that I can, um, you know, around the whole theme of, of being an outsider, I just recognize and have learned so much about the different ways different people on the margins of society are constantly affected. And just we all need to do our part in being better advocates and allies in every way we can. So I'm just deciding to spend more of my time and my energy right now into that kind of work. And we'll see what happens with that. I'm not necessarily tying it to like monetary products or things to sell, but I I truly actually have hope that this is going to figure itself out and we'll be able to pay the things we got to pay and like people will want to come back to this and get married and have their events and do that. So I'm not worried about what's going to happen when it's all over. It's just... It depends on how long everything lasts. I can imagine like struggles like these are are things that I think as an entrepreneur isn't necessarily always spoken about, uh, you know, so mm-hmm. it's like I think in the wake of this tragic incident, more and more entrepreneurs are speaking out about their experiences and their struggles with being an entrepreneur. And because I feel like a lot of entrepreneurship is very glorified and very sexy, you know, I mean, do, do you have things to say about that? Like kind of your experience with being an entrepreneur? Everyone and their dog wants to be an entrepreneur right now. And God, I just, I think this is going to wake a lot of people up into what those, like the unglamorous sides of entrepreneurship are. And I know there was like a huge spike in like the, like unconventional work. And I think this is definitely going to change the future of work. But entrepreneurship, I mean, I just I can't even put into words what it means to have literally three months of your cash flow canceled or like up in the air or postponed all within like five days. Right. And so that's what the life of not just me, but a lot of people in my world look like right now. 
And so unless you're a product-based business that runs online or a coach that has a successful online coaching business, if you're in the service-based industry and you work with clients, and even, even if you're a coach, even if whatever it is, if you don't have stable income right now, it's a really hard place to be. And how did you even build your own business? Like with, you know, starting from scratch, you know, were you self-funded or did you get, you know, funding from elsewhere? Girl, I did not have any money. Um, I'm super grateful to my parents who, um, like, this is not like a Donald Trump kind of story. He was like, I just borrowed a small amount of $1 million or whatever it is. Um, my, like, I sustained myself throughout university, but at every step of the way, even when my parents financially couldn't, they emotionally supported me, or even if they could a little bit, they financially supported me. Um, like a lens um, here and there, a mic, like little things that were going to be super important to getting that next gig. Like those are things that my parents, when I was really struggling, were really amazing about helping me with. And even then, it still wasn't enough, right? So I remember having this conversation with someone who was like, oh yeah, I just borrowed like a small amount of $80,000, started everything, now have my videography business, doing commercials for Honda. And I was just like, shut up. Like, it's not not the world I was living in. Like, I was getting paid, like, as of not that long ago, like a few years ago, which – um, sounds wild to me now, but I would do like an eight hour, nine hour shoot for someone for like $250, which one shows you how much I was devaluing myself, but two, um, goes to show like how little kind of cash flow there was running around in my business. Like I didn't know these things. No one was telling me these things. There wasn't, it didn't seem like there was accessible education into learning these things. And when you don't have money you can't actually buy the things you need to have an operational business um 2019 was the first year i actually i think had profit (laughs) um which goes to show i've had my business for five years like officially been running my business so to only have my first year of profit last year and i reinvested well over 70% of that back into my business, into buying the gear that I never actually had the funds to be able to do up until last year. So to answer your question, I was, uh, I would say 85% self-funded and then 15%, um, like whether it was my parents supporting the ability for me to live, which made it easy for me to put my money back into my business. Like that is still support that my family has done for me, which I'm really, really grateful for. But it wasn't like 80,000, 1 million small loans from friends and family or whatever ridiculous stories I've heard. God, like it's just so different when you're from an immigrant family. Like, God, if I asked my dad something like that, he would actually just laugh. We just full on like belly laugh. I mean, congratulations on finally turning a profit, even though, you know, for you, it might have taken maybe longer or maybe that's the norm, um, you know, but I mean, congratulations on that. You know, what are some of those lessons that you learned during that, you know, trying time of trying to build up your business and trying to make a profit? You know, what were some key lessons you learned along the way, aside from don't over undervalue yourself and know your worth? I think 
undervaluing yourself and knowing your worth also has a huge part to do with the people around you and I'm not just saying like the the people who are going to value you but like in terms of your actual clients but just knowing that no matter where you are in your industry in your world there's always going to be someone willing to pay you what you decide your services your product whatever it is is worth and I think a lot of people forget that because we get the advice from the people around us from whatever mindset they're in and so if you're around students, you're going to be marketing for students based on a student budget. And that's going to look very different than if you're around people in corporations and you understand and know what corporate budgets look like. And that has everything to do with like the perceptions that we expose ourselves to and the people who are around us. So I think that was huge for me. You know, you don't really know what you don't know until you finally know it. And you're like, oh, okay. I was operating from this place for a really long time. And then the other thing too is that if, if you're bootstrapping your business, like if you've decided to do that, and a lot of the times that is what the immigrant community or, you know, third culture kids who are deciding to start their businesses, whatever that looks like, a lot of the times it's a bootstrap business, right? Um, where you don't have that much cash going into it, you decide you want to do something and you're just hoping to make a little more money and make a little more money and make a little more money to just keep putting back into it to make a little more the next time. And so if you're doing that and you start growing at a rapid pace, then the biggest thing would really be to keep on dedicating that time to to learn and put the systems in place because otherwise you can end up ruining your business by not having those systems. So how would you say like if somebody wants to start their own multimedia business like you, you know, what are three tangible things that they should be doing right now if they want to get started on that? They should be practicing their craft every single day, making sure that in some way they're learning something or practicing it tangibly. Uh, they should learn the business of what it is that they do. So for example, if they're multimedia, but they are a graphic designer that wants to sell like art prints and they've got a huge, like, let's say they're growing their following on Instagram and they have a lot of people there. What does it look like to drop ship those prints? What does it look like to sell that? What does it look like to charge for commissions? Uh, so really learn the business of of what that multimedia side of things is. And then make some friends in the field. There's going to be people who are going to be happy to be your mentors. And I know that's really scary because it can seem really competitive, but there will always be someone willing to mentor you. And my best advice for that is find someone in a completely different city than you. Because if you're going to run a business that's location-based, then at least if you find someone in the same field doing exactly what you do, but they're like on the other side of the world, then what's the harm in having them as your mentor? Um, and the only difference really is the actual geography of things, right? So That's great advice. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. <laughs> so how do you think your business, you know, is helping to elevate more women? Ooh, um, firstly, all of my clients are women. Like almost by happenstance, I didn't necessarily market always towards women I was just completely like so a huge part of my ethos and who I am is someone who supports like female identifying entrepreneurs or people of color or people in marginalized communities whatever that looks like and that's really what my community ended up looking like which is really what ended up my clients ended up looking like so for me um supporting women-owned businesses is really 
like a huge part of what I do. And so to be able to find a way to tell their stories in a way that means something to them is so, so important because a huge part of what I help with is finding that story. And the majority of women-owned businesses are actually very passion-fueled and story-fueled. Like women start businesses for a reason. um, And that reason is often so much more than I want to make money. The reason is because I want to help people or because I had this problem or I had this experience and it affected my life and I wanted to change that. Whereas I think there's some statistics somewhere about like men are more likely to start businesses because they look at the profit margins and they see that they can make a lot of money back on it. Um, so to me, the way that I help and the way that I show up really is in, in sharing those stories and allowing that to be a huge part of whatever a person's, uh, marketing messaging might be, um, usually always for women-owned businesses. Yeah. And, and, and being in the multimedia field is, you know, very much male dominated. Um, and you're also a woman of color and it's pretty much like white dominated as well. How can you you know, tell somebody to live their life unapologetically in an industry that doesn't really look like them and while being themselves? So I think the best thing I ever did for myself to allow me to be the most unapologetic person that I am is being an entrepreneur rather than being in the multimedia industry that is like working for a multimedia corporation or company because working for a multimedia company when you're the only woman, let alone woman of color in a room is like soul sucking because my experiences inside spaces like that have been horrible. And I think really removing myself from that and allowing me to put ownership into my own stories, into what I create, into how I create that is probably the best thing I've ever done for myself. And now my only hope is that I can continue to be really, really, really loud about it so that other women of color, other people who look like me can do exactly the same. But it is really hard. Like I walk into camera stores and I get talked down to and mansplained when usually a lot of the information they're trying to give me I know is already outdated. Um, I walk into event spaces trying to do like tech rehearsals and event setups and no one actually wants to give me a proper answer because they don't think I actually know what they're talking about. Um, So it's not easy, but I think, again, the best thing you can do is really focus on yourself and your craft and and kind of shut out the noise. Incredible. Uh, well, thank you so much for sharing. And, you know, I like to close out by just doing like a fun, you know, kind of get to know you round of questions. Uh, so what's one item in your bag that you can't leave the house without? Uh, my bindi. So like I, for, for, for context, yeah, like I wear the bindi and I have a whole bunch of different styles. It's always in my handbag in case like I feel zesty and I want to add a jewel. Zesty. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what productivity tool or app do you use the most and for what purpose? Ooh, um, love Asana, but my favorite right now is called Streaks. It's like $5.99 on the Apple Store, I think. Um, and it's a habit maker app. So you're really into like forming good habits right now. I'm trying. <laughs> but but the app is designed to make you feel like you're winning every time you like stay consistent with your habit. So I'm here for it. <laughs> That's great. Um, what's something you do to unwind and decompress? 
I usually watch a little bit of Netflix and I also read a part of a book. What show are you watching on Netflix and what book are you reading? I am watching Flash, which is like super, I'm super behind. I'm only on season three. And I am reading um, Everything is Figureoutable by Marie Folio. She's really great. She's amazing. And how can people get in touch with you? You can find me on Instagram at Just Ask Jenny or on the internet, www.jennyj.net. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Jenny. This was great chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the Outside Girl podcast. If you like what you heard, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you consume your favorite podcasts. And again, if you'd love to support Jenny, be sure to follow her on Instagram at Just Ask Jenny. She'll be actually dropping some workshops and tutorials in the coming week, so be sure to give her a follow. And I'll see you guys on the next episode.